Good morning, Hope Jersey City. Pastor Christian here. Such an incredible honor and privilege for me to join in this sermon series in the book of Jonah. I'm going to be reading from Jonah chapter 1, verse 11 to 17. And it says this, The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us from your word. Would you cause our hearts to grow in affection and love for you? Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Magnify him in our midst. And Father, would you cause us to be strengthened in your love? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, lately I've been doing a lot of reflection, thinking back to different times in life. Some better times, some not so great times. But in particular, I don't know why, I found myself remembering freshman year in college. Went to uh, Brooklyn College, uh, City University of New York. They call it the poor man's Harvard. I can attest um, there was a lot of poor people at the school. <laughs> That's the only thing that I can understand why they call it the poor man's Harvard. But it was a great institution for learning. They really forced us to learn and study things that honestly are with me to this day. In particular, there was a classics course and a special emphasis on classical art. And growing up where I grew up in, didn't go to museums a whole lot, and so this was a crash course into, like, my hand was gripped and someone was walking me through the pages of antiquity, the historical moments where human culture was being shaped, uh, things that we still rely upon now and society still rests upon, thought patterns and ways of life, but in particular, the art that was created during these amazing periods of history, whether it was the Renaissance or early antiquity, I was really amazed at these statues that were created then that still exist to today, that you can go visit in the world's premier museums and see works of art that were created way back when. But what was interesting was the picture of these uh, figures actually weren't too honest because in the picture it looks quite like uh, as if they haven't been phased at all, as if they haven't been experiencing the wear and tear of all these years and weather and, and the environment forcing it on. They look like they were just made yesterday until you actually take a real zoomed look and then you see the effects of hundreds, if not thousands of years on these amazing works of art. The truth is they have intense cracks and breaking points 
and they've had to be supported over the years and touched up and propped up. Because when you get close enough to anything, even fine works of art, you see the cracks in the reality of it. I start there because as we've been looking at the life of Jonah in this book, when you get close enough, you see some incredible fractures in Jonah's soul. It's one of the most oddest books in the Bible, to be honest, because we're reading about the life of a prodigal prophet, as one author calls it. He, a prophet, was intended by God to call the people to a place of obedience, yet he's doing the complete opposite. He runs so far from God. It, the furthest possible distance he could run away from God's calling, Jonah does it. And as we read closer to his life, his state of disobedience is quite intense because he has no care or regard for the people on this ship that he's uh, boarded and trying to run away from God's calling. Their lives are at risk and Jonah is sleeping at the bottom of the ship, disconnected from their suffering, could care less. These men are praying to their gods. Jonah doesn't utter a word to God. His, his soul is truly fractured. But compare Jonah to the men on this ship, pagan sailors, you get a different picture. Because we're told that they act in the most startling way when you compare it to how Jonah's been acting. In verse 13 and 14, it says about these men, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. It's amazing that though they were pagans and their lives were not formed and shaped by covenantal relationship with Jonah's God, we see them acting in greater alignment with what a follower of God should be acting they cared for Jonah. They weren't just ready to toss him over the ship. Like you have to realize it's been identified that they know that tossing Jonah over the ship to his death is the key to their survival. Yet you see that they're trepidatious. They actually value his life so much so they're trying to row back to land to see if somehow they could save him. Meanwhile, Jonah could care less about them. And why this strikes me is because Despite the fact that they were pagan sailors, that they did not believe anything remotely to what you and I would believe as followers of Jesus, what's undeniable is that you see the image of God in them. I'm always moved by instances where in our broken world, the image of God still comes through. In my life, I've seen drug dealers show respect and care for elderly people. I've seen uh, just kind of self-absorbed business people on a crowded New York subway give their seat to a pregnant woman. I've seen so many instances, as I'm sure you have, where despite the brokenness in our world, we see glimpses of beauty, of love, of care. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're wondering, What's that about? Let me tell you what that is, is the image of God that's bleeding through a human soul, despite the fact that our world is so broken. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's important for you to know that 
even though we may believe differently, we have a common experience in that you and I are created in the image of God. And that's what gives us the capacity to love and to care. That is not derived from ourselves. It comes from our creator who's designed us in this way. And these sailors are bearing the image of God in the most vivid way because they were acting in a way that even Jonah as a prophet, as one who was in covenant with God, was not acting. See, but something happens to this disobedient prophet in this passage that we would do well to take note of. Up until this point, he's been disconnected, has not prayed to God. He's in outright disobedience to God. He does not care about the people on this ship as he's watching them throw over their cargo, fear for their life, and they're about to die. Jonah's unmoved, but something begins to happen. You know, recently, my family and I, we took a trip down to Orlando, Florida. Um, it was quite the experience because it's six of us. It's 11-year-old daughter, 9-year-old son, 6-year-old son, and about to be 1-year-old daughter crammed in our minivan because we figured it's just us. We could uh, less hassle than going to the airport. Um, only one thing uh, that we kind of overlooked. It's ridiculously long to drive. Uh, I-95 just never ends. At a certain point, I felt like I wasn't driving anymore. I felt like I was just avoiding hitting something. We got there. It was a great vacation. Come back, and we're leaving the warmth to come to the cold. You know it. While we were gone, it was snowing over here. But we were delighted that our landlord shoveled the street for us, shoveled our, our, uh, the entryway to our house. So we were kind of like looking forward to just pulling up, getting inside our house when we drove back. It was about one in the morning, only to discover that the plows were piling up snow upon snow upon snow that at this point had become the most solid ice block imaginable that blocked our driveway. So 1.30 in the morning is freezing after driving, like at that point, close to 20 hours. Just want to get inside my house. And I had to park my car uh, away, away from my house. And it was just not a good moment. What was the only hope at this point? I didn't have a pickaxe. I, I tried to shovel it. My shovel broke. It was a, it just, you got to understand what was going through me. I was not a happy person. I was like, why did I go on vacation? It was, that was, it was taking that much life out of me at that moment until the next day. It began to get warmer, and the warmth began to melt this massive block of ice, and life was starting to feel manageable again. In this passage, we see a glimpse where Jonah's cold, indifferent, disconnected, refusing to see the image of God in these sailors and outright disobedience, we see his heart begin to slightly thaw out. Because look at what it says in verse 12. Jonah says, pick me up now and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. You know, it's, it's hard to fully know what was motivating Jonah fully at this time. But from what we could tell, his heart for the first moment since we've been journeying with him is experiencing 
a supernatural shift. He's caring for these people. He's becoming aware of them at the very bare minimum. And why that's an important thing to take note of is because, spiritually speaking, there is no greater sign that something's beginning to change in your heart and mind than the sign that we are becoming less and less self-absorbed. The moment you and I can lift our heads and look beyond just ourselves and see the hurts, the pains, the hopes, see people all around us, that life would tempt us to become busy and not see them and we're distracted from fully connecting with them, that is a supernatural evidence that God is at work. Whenever you feel care and love for someone, take note of that. That's God at work in us because naturally life is set up in such a way that it's pushing all of us to not care, to be disconnected, to isolate. But when you and I feel a nudge to care, to love, to think of others, to reach out, to notice others, that's God at work. When I became a Christian, I was 14 years old and I knew that Jesus was real after one moment that I'll never forget. I was a Christian for a couple weeks at this moment, and I saw this girl who I will name, uh, just to keep her anonymous, I'll call her Althea. That was not her name. I didn't grow up around a lot of Altheas in my Puerto Rican neighborhood. But we'll call her Althea for the sake of this story. I saw Althea, and I walked over to her and apologized. See, at the age of 12, two years before that, one summer night, my sister went for a walk. Now, if you know anything about summers in New York City or summers in any city, when the heat is high, the heat index, crime begins to spike. People get irritable during hot summer nights. So my sister's going for a walk with some friends and she sees Althea and they have an exchange of words. And my sister, uh, in our vernacular, tells this girl, Althea, if you got a problem, bring it to 47th Street and 4th Avenue. This is all happening on this walk. They went to go get ice cream. I have no idea this is happening. I'm 12 years old, um, and I'm just hanging out Brooklyn night during the summer. My sister gets back. She mentions nothing about her exchange with Althea. And in a moment, I notice a stampede of about 50 people on bikes, running, waving chains, bats, crossing the avenue, 4th Avenue, coming from 5th Avenue. And I have no clue who they're coming from for, but as they're getting closer, I'm realizing, oh no, they're coming for us. At this moment, I have my mother there and my sister. I put them behind me. Uh, I was the man of the house at the age of 12, single parent home, and I'm just naturally trying to protect them. I had no idea what happened on that walk, but now all of a sudden the dots began to connect because I see Althea come forward. I knew her and my sister didn't get along. And actually one time, a few weeks before that, me and Althea had an exchange of words, so she wasn't really too much of a fan of me. And at this moment she says, I came here, you're gonna get jumped. And she's telling my sister, let's fight now. And I tell her, I there's no way you're gonna fight my sister. No way I'm gonna let 50 people hit my sister. It's not gonna happen. I had a lot of guts considering I was 12 years old. Nobody's with us, my mom and my sister. Um, we were pretty much defenseless. In a moment, Althea comes and smacks me in the face. 
She smacked me so hard that all of Brooklyn heard it. It was one of those epic smacks. She smacked the soul out of me. Instinctively, I did something that probably a few of you are going to start logging off this video in a moment when you hear what I did. Instinctively, my 12-year-old soul that said no one should ever touch my face did something that I regret. I punched Althea in the face. Althea dropped like a ton of bricks. She fell on the floor. What did my sister do? She took advantage. She was like, oh, she's on the floor? My sister jumped on her, and they started fighting. Now, all of a sudden, my mom is barricading anybody from jumping, and this older lady, I didn't even know, she's there. And it was pandemonium. Like I said, crazy stuff, chains and bikes, people being chased. It was madness. Two years later, I encountered Jesus. I see Althea, and no one told me to do this. I wasn't expecting her to do this. I had never done anything like this. I didn't have models in my life for this. But I felt this nudge to go to her. And I asked her to forgive me. I said, I, I, I'm so sorry what I did. It was incredibly cowardly. I should have never done that to you. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? To be honest, she had no words. She was speechless. She could barely give me eye contact. And finally she said, okay. And I walked away, and she walked away. And at that moment, I was scratching my head like, what was that about? What did you just do? It didn't make sense to me because I had never done anything like that. But at that moment, I knew truly God had been at work in me. Truly Jesus was changing me because that was the only explanation. Jonah at this moment is experiencing something powerful happening in his soul because he's noticing people that he could care less about prior. And he does something that is an incredible gesture. He offers his life for their redemption, for their safety. Again, we don't fully know, and as we study the book, it becomes questionable what exactly his motives were here but regardless of whether his motives were pure or not, the act to lay one's life down for the sake of others is not simply a human idea or a human impulse. It screams about our divine design that points to the ultimate one who laid his life down to redeem us. This screams of sacrificial love that we see most profoundly in the cross of Jesus. I want to read these two passages from the New Testament. Romans 5, verse 6 to 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this to lay one's life down for one's friends. See, Jonah's sacrifice is patterned after this ultimate sacrifice. And the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus didn't just save a few sailors on a ship like Jonah. The ultimate sacrifice of Jesus through the pages of history has continued to be salvation and transformation. And one of the big reasons why I believe that Jesus is who he says he is because I have seen no other name, no other person, no other thought system, no other tradition transform human lives the way I've seen 
the power of Jesus do so. I've seen Jesus restore the most broken, hopeless people, redeem them and write stories of beauty and grace that are unimaginable because of his sacrificial love that absolutely changes everything. See, at this moment, Jonah's act points to the greater one, the one who sacrificed his life, was buried, rose again, and is available to you and I right now to call on him to save us, to redeem us, to make us alive. See, we're not saved by our sacrifice. We're only saved through his sacrifice. The sailors couldn't save themselves. And that's a common thing that we have with them. They could not save themselves. Jonah needed to be offered on their behalf. And you and I, we can't save ourselves. There's no one that can save themselves from the temptations of this world that seek to dehumanize us and seek to imprison us to all sorts of appetites and aspirations and seek to cause us to dehumanize others and and add to the brokenness of the world. Self-help, all sorts of remedies and systems of change will fall short. Only the love of Jesus and his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection has the power to redeem Jonah's sacrifice points to this greater sacrifice that you and I have tasted and are being transformed by. And if you're watching and you're joining and you're part of Hope Jersey City and exploring who Jesus is, I want to invite you, this church invites you, to truly explore what it means to know the one that was greater than Jonah, the one that died, was buried and rose again, and right now has the power to transform your heart and mind. Now, as we close, the story doesn't end with them just tossing Jonah over the boat. We read that as they do so, the storm calms, the seas come, become utterly peaceful. And we notice something in the, in the response of the sailors that's absolutely mind-boggling. It says that they offered up sacrifices and began to pray to the Lord. What's interesting is that the word Lord that's used in that passage, that they call out to God, is not just a generic term for God. It's actually the covenantal name of God. These sailors came to faith in the God of Israel, despite the fact that Jonah was the worst advertisement for being in covenant with God. It was his disobedience that almost caused them to die. And yet God used even this moment to bring these sailors to a place of faith. Why I end there and I want to leave you with that thought is because what that strikes me and reminds me is that God can use anything and he will use everything, even our mess ups, even our struggles. If in this journey of studying Jonah, you resonate a lot with Jonah, you realize, man, I'm, I'm like him. I'm running from God. I'm running to Tarshish. I'm, I'm, I'm disobedient. I don't see the image of God in others. I'm disconnected. You're, you're, you're not judging Jonah. You're actually feeling a lot of connection. We have hope in the God that we serve 
and that he's a God that uses everything, even our faults and mess-ups. And I don't know about you, but that reminder, that truth is sorely needed during these times. If you're like me, you've probably had multiple moments where you've lost your cool during this pandemic season. You've probably had multiple moments where you've seen some ugly things in your soul, where you've said things to family members, friends, or maybe read something online and, or had a reaction to things that were happening all around us that if you measure it up to Jesus, you realize, man, there's such a lack of Christ-likeness in me. And maybe you feel frustrated. It's like, what, what am I doing for God? What am I doing for his kingdom? I feel so trapped and, and just life isn't flowing the way it normally does. What can be salvaged from this season of life? Let me tell you, if God could salvage the disobedience of Jonah and turn that around and use that to bring these pagan sailors to faith, we serve a God that can salvage pandemics, that can salvage isolation, that can salvage depression, that can salvage every possible struggle that you and I may find ourselves facing. We serve a God that uses it all. He will not throw anything out. He recycles it all. He redeems it all. And he does that beginning with us. God is not allowing your life and mine to be wasted, struggles and all. He is here to redeem, to renew and restore. I want to invite you as we close for you and I to put our faith yet again in Jesus, the one, the greater one, whose sacrifice is redemptive and renewing for you and I? What would it look like for you and I to begin to let our hearts melt, thaw out, let the ice melt and break down and begin to see people around us as made in the image of God? Begin to own our sins and our faults as Jonah did and begin to turn to the one who alone can save us. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I ask that you would meet each and every one of us in the spaces that we find ourselves in, especially if, like Jonah, we relate to a state of disobedience. We're disconnected and life seems like such a mess. Lord, would you remind us that you are a God who can redeem our messes? and restore and use everything for your glory. Jesus, come and speak to us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Hope Jersey City.